0: No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. You know, the truth is, and uh, this is me being honest with you, I'm just going to be honest with you, The, the truth is that I don't like getting into feuds and arguments with other Christians. And that's, that's happened a lot, especially recently, going back and forth uh, with, with different Christians on the public stage, and uh, most recently with the Hatmakers, Jen Hatmaker, Brandon Hatmaker over, their, over, their, over the gay marriage issue and, and her comments that gay marriage is holy, that gay relationships are holy in the sight of God. I'm not going to hash out, again, all of the uh, points that I made there and all the arguments. I wrote about it last week. I did two videos. And I think that's enough for now, but I'm sure it'll come up again. So there was a, you know, that was a, a feud, a public feud with, uh, with Christians. Um, and I, I'll tell you about another one in a second here, but, but, but a point about that, because sometimes people will say to me, well, the Bible says when you're having a disagreement with another Christian, you're supposed to go to them. You should go to them first and, and, uh, talk to them first. That, that's what the Bible says. Well, that's, that's not exactly true. If we're talking about a disagreement that we're having with somebody in our community, in our individual church, uh, in our family, then obviously we should talk to them first. And then if, if that doesn't solve it, then you go to the church, you go to your pastor, um, and you, you take these various different steps. And if it's somebody close to you, if it's a friend, if it's a family member, then of course there's never really a point where it's the appropriate thing. Or I could, I could see where it would rarely be the appropriate thing to go public with it and, uh, and blast them publicly, particularly because other people outside of your sphere wouldn't be aware of the, of the argument. So it wouldn't make any sense to do. But when you're talking about Christians on the public stage who get up there in front of countless numbers of millions of people, you know, millions of, they get up in front of millions of people and they speak heresy to millions of people leading millions of people potentially astray well then number one it may not be possible to address them directly how if you don't know them you can send them an email they probably won't see it trust me i know because i've got an audience myself and i don't see half my emails and number two the the issue is confronting them is not just for their own sake but for the sake of all the people they're leading astray so for instance, Jen Hatmaker, when she gets up there and speaks heresy and says gay marriage is holy, sin is holy, even if I could contact her directly, that doesn't do any good for the people that have been led, led astray by her, from the people that hear her words and come away from it thinking, oh, sin can be holy. So for their sake, it, it behooves other Christians to stand up and denounce heresy. We're suppo- That's what we're supposed to do. So this stuff about going... There's nothing in the Bible that says that heresy, that public heresy should be dealt with privately. Quite the opposite. It should be dealt with very publicly. But it's not a fun thing to do. It's not something I enjoy. So another uh, less well-known Christian um, than Jen Hatmaker that I found myself having to call out publicly recently is a guy named John Pavlovitz. He's a... Um, a pastor of a church called the North Raleigh Community Church. Now, I don't know much about the church in terms of how big it is, but uh, I just became aware of, of the church because Pavlovitz does a blog that uh, gets shared into my feed from time to time. And I happened to see something he wrote a little while back about how Christians don't have to go to church. And this is a, a pastor talking, saying, relax, Christians, you don't have to go to church. I think that was the actual title of his, of his piece. And I wrote a retort to that because I saw it being shared all over Facebook and I thought, well, here we, here we go again. This is this is a, a pastor saying, don't honor, honor the Sabbath. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about joining together with the body of Christ in worship and prayer. Don't worry about doing that. And he's leading people astray. So in a, on a public forum, somebody has to stand up and say, no, that's wrong. Here's the truth. And so that's what I did there. Um, then when he uh, attacked me, last week for my gay marriage views. You know, I responded to that just on Twitter or whatever. And uh, I had a few readers send me a a link to his church's website, which I hadn't really looked at, and uh, the North Raleigh Community Church website. And they told me, they pointed out the statements of faith on the website. Um, And this is the church laying out its doctrine on its website, its beliefs. So I went and I looked at it. I think they laid out five core beliefs for this church. Um, And the whole thing is a mess. But there's one in particular, one statement, piece of doctrine, that, uh, well, I have to tell you, nothing shocks me anymore. But this, when I read it, I mean, this about did it. This about shocked me, just to see it written so clearly and so blatantly by a church. So I want to share this with you. I want to share with you. What I found on this website of this church, um, their, this is their fifth statement of faith. And this is what it says. I'm not joking or exaggerating or paraphrasing. This is what it says verbatim. Uh, number five, we believe sin is not that big a deal. That sounds scandalous when you say it out loud, they continue. And to be honest, we did we do that on purpose. Of course, sin damages our lives, our families, our relationships, and our futures. But compared to the vastness of God's grace and forgiveness, sin is just not that big a deal. Consequently, at NRCC, we're not too focused on one another's sins. We don't spend much energy trying to keep one another on the straight and narrow. Rather, we try to encourage one another to listen to the indwelling spirit, the indwelling spirit, and let God move us to listen carefully for the inner spiritual conviction and then respond fervently to what we hear. Do that, and sin will take care of itself. Sin is not that big a deal. Here's why I'm talking about this. Uh, First of all, it's utterly horrendous and insane. But second, this is a very common heresy among liberal Christians. The only difference is they don't usually come out and say it. that's, That's how they often operate, and the things that they say, you can kind of infer that. But this is the first time I've seen a church Right out actually say sin's not that big of a deal what usually happens is they'll say something to that effect and then you'll accuse them of trying to diminish the severity of sin or of saying in effect that sin is not a big deal and they'll come back and say that's ah, not what we're saying at all but in this case they're just saying, yeah sin's not a big deal guys that's i mean I, and i don't use it, the word the word uh, i don't use this term lightly but th- that is satanic that is truly satanic that is you want to talk about the indwelling spirit? Well, let me tell you what kind of indwelling spirit is dwelling in you when you actually say something like that and type it out as a as a as a as a piece of doctrine for a church. Okay, that's that's not that's not the, that's not the Holy Spirit dwelling in you when you uh, it's not, it's, the Holy Spirit is not moving you to say sin's not a big deal. Those those are spirits from the other end of the spectrum that are that are moving you in that direction. All right, but that's pure evil. Sin's not that big of a deal. But it is good that they put it out there and say it like that. Just come out. Of, I mean, I, I and I've been saying for forever that uh, Christians who, it's it, just be honest about what you believe and and in what your actual convictions are. Just put it out there. Which is why many Christians, if they're being honest about it, if they, they should just come out and say, "Look, I'm not really a Christian. I don't I don't actually buy a lot of this stuff. I'm not I'm not that into it. Uh, I you know I don't really believe that necessarily that Jesus ever existed. And um, so i yeah you know, I'm not really a Christian. That's if 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 everyone was honest, um, I think that you know the, the what we consider the church, the the body of Christ, would would shrink in America drastically, by huge percentage points, because if we're all being honest, you would have many many millions of Christians who just leave and say, you know what, I'm not, I don't really believe this, I'm actually an atheist, I'm actually an agnostic, uh, I'm more of a Buddhist, whatever it is. And it's better to come out and be honest because then when we're honest, when we are on an honest playing field and everyone is saying what they actually mean, then we can engage in some kind of a, a conversation and things are less confusing. And if you believe uh, heresy like this, then rather than lead people into the heresy using couched language, I suppose it's better just to come out and say it. And then, and then that way, um, people will know, oh, okay, well, this isn't really a church. It's a heretical cult, and that's what this church is. It's a, heret- it's a, it's a heretical cult. It's not really a church, and this is not Christianity by any, way, by any stretch of the imagination. Now, this church, it tries to lessen the impact of uh, the heresy, it tries to lessen the impact by saying, well, um, compared to God, compared to the, to, uh, the grace of God, It's not that big of a deal, you see. So they're just like, compared to God, that's all they're they're saying. And if they had said, well, compared to God, sin is ugly. Compared to God, sin is hollow. Compared to God, sin is unfulfilling. That would all be true, and I would agree. That would be be very true, in fact. C.S. Lewis talks about how uh, hell in, in The Great Divorce, which is... I think one of my well, one of my favorite things I've ever read. One of my favorite books of all time, C.S. Lewis talks about how hell is uh, such a faint and small place that when people go there, they don't they don't fall into it so much as they sort of shrink into it because sin is a negation. Evil is a negation. It's it's it has no form of its own. It's just um, it's sort of like there is no such thing as darkness just the absence of light but there is there isn't anything that emits darkness uh in the same it just it just there's there's just the absence of light so you can block out the light but you can't create darkness but that's not what they're saying um they're saying it's not a big deal which is completely different c.s lewis never said well hell's no big deal it's a big deal it's just uh it's just so hollow compared to uh and small compared to heaven which is like, you know, um, well you know, if, if you have a house plant and uh, if you go out and you buy a beautiful house plant, an indoor tree, let's say, uh, the tree can, can die. If you don't take care of it, the tree can die from root rot. Its roots can rot and, uh, and it kills the tree. So saying sin isn't a big deal compared to God is like saying "root rot isn't a big deal compared to a beautiful tree. Now, it's ugly compared to the tree. That's true. But the beauty of the tree is precisely what makes the ugliness of the rot a big deal. Because the rot destroys the beautiful thing. And because we love the beautiful thing, we must agree that its destruction is a big deal. You can only say it's not a big deal if you don't think the tree itself is a big deal. Important point here. In my analogy, God is not the tree. Because God can't be destroyed by our sin. Our rot cannot touch... uh, Cannot touch cannot touch god but our relationship with god our commitment to god that, that is what sin destroys that's the beautiful precious tree in my analogy the tree is our relationship with with god and indeed that relationship is living breathing and real and it must be tended to and it, and uh, and it must be kept free from disease it must be kept free from rot from the rot of sin because it's a vulnerable and precious thing, and, and it's only vulnerable and precious because of us on our end of the, on our end of the bargain. Because we are so weak and feeble, and that we can so easily and will so easily compromise that relationship for the sake of something as stupid as sin. Um, so it has to. way to be very careful, and that, and that, so that's what it is. So sin is a big deal. I know that God agrees with me. By the way, I know that God agrees with me. And, and that sounds arrogant to say, well, God agrees with me. But he does. Um, and it, well, it's, I, I'll phrase it differently. I agree with God. I and mean, He doesn't agree with me about anything. I agree with him. I agree with God that sin is a big deal. And I know that God thinks sin is a big deal because he sent his only son here to die for them. They were such a, a big deal to him, such, a, such a, a tragedy, such an outrage, that he sent his only son to die as a sacrifice so that we could be freed from the bondage of sin. That's how big of a deal it is. And in fact, the, the um, this reality about sin, the fact that sin is such a big deal and it's a, it's a, it, a bondage, a, a, an enslavement, that fact is central. It, that is a central fundamental fact to our Christian faith. You can't just take that out of it. You can't just take sin out of it and say, well, I'm still a Christian. No, you're not. In your version of things, why did God? Why did God send His Son here? Why did Jesus die? If sin is just sort of a, bleh, do you realize how arrogant, how offensive that is to God, that He gave us this great gift of salvation, even at the cost of of His own blood, and we'll say, well, you know, you didn't have to do all that it wasn't a big deal. It's like if you're dying from some uh, from some terrible, you know. Disease of your internal organs, and somebody donates so that you don't die. Someone donates you a lung, you know, and uh, and you get the lung, or someone donates you. A, so let's say someone donates you a liver, your uh, their liver, or uh, maybe better, someone donates you one of their kidneys. And after you get the 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 donation, you say, "Well, it wasn't that big of a deal. You didn't have to give me your kidney. wasn't wasn't that big of a. I didn't re- I don't really need a kidney. wasn't that big of a deal. The disease wasn't that big of a deal." Eh. Who cares? Not a big deal. Now, number one, you're wrong because you need the kidney or you would die. So you're you're wrong and you're and you're a fool. You're an idiot for saying so because you did need the kidney. But number two, why are you trying to diminish and dismiss this amazing sacrifice? Somebody made for you. They gave you their own body. They suffered and bled for you. And your response is, it's not a big deal. So one, inaccurate. Two, what an arrogant brat you really are. Sin is a big deal because Christ died for it. Why did Christ die for our sins? Because sin, our sin, um, our choice to, uh, to reject God can prevent us from entering into full and eternal communion with him in heaven. That's, that's why it's a big deal. Because that's what our sin can do. It's it's not just as a, you know. I, I know they throw a bone to the um, to the severity of sin in this in this uh, in their statement by saying, yeah, it's you know it it's, uh, it damages our lives and our relationships and our futures. It does more than that. Okay, it's not just you know a lot of things damage your life. You could break a toe or, you know, find yourself in some minimal financial debt. That, that, that'll damage your life. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about something that destroys you, not damage. We're talking about something that destroys, destroys, destroys your life and could ultimately destroy your eternal life, could send you to damnation. That's what sin can do. Christ opened up the gates of heaven. He opened up salvation for us. But we, because we have free will, because God loved us enough to give, to give us free will, we can reject that gift if we want to. We can say, no, thank you. I don't want it. We we have that uh, power to do it, to do that. And a lot of people do. And if that's ultimately the choice that you make and you die without repenting of it, then um, you won't go to heaven. And that, that's a big deal. It is. The third thing is, leaving all this to the side, if, if you really can, um, we know that uh, sin is an offense to God. It, it offends God when we sin. Our sin offends him. And as loyal subjects, if we are loyal subjects, you know, the loyal subject of a king would never say, that's no big deal when the king is offended. It is a big deal. In fact, it's a much bigger deal when when the king is offended than when you are. So I wonder, the people who say that offenses against God are no big deal, do they take the same approach in their own lives when they're offended, when someone spits on them, when someone uh, smacks them around metaphorically or literally, Do do they say, that's no big deal? Because I'm guessing they don't. That is a big deal, isn't it? When someone offends you, insults you, that's a big deal to you. But you don't think it's a big deal when it happens to God. See, it's supposed to be the reverse. This is what we're taught by by Christ and Scripture. It, the re- the reverse is supposed to how we're is how we are supposed to try to operate. Although we're weak and selfish, so ultimately, so often we fail in this regard. But the way we're supposed to approach it is that offenses against us personally, we brush off. If someone smacks you, turn the other cheek. If someone spits in your face, uh just wipe it off and keep going. Let them spit again if they want to. That's how we're that's how we're told we are supposed to operate. Turn the other cheek if someone smacks you. That's no big deal. But we are not told that about God. We are never said, we are never told that if somebody offends God, if somebody insults God, if someone spits in God's face, that's no big deal. We should turn the other cheek. We should turn our back not pay attention. We're never told that. In fact, we're told the exact opposite. And that's why Jesus Christ, when he went to the, to the temple and saw people, saw the money changers there, saw people desecrating uh, you know, God's house, he flipped tables and made a whip and drove people out physically violently. Why did he do that? Because they were offending God. They were offending his father in heaven, and he, and, he, and he stepped up to defend his father in heaven. That's what we are supposed to do. Not for our own sake, but for God's. So you've got it exactly opposite when you say sin is no big deal. No, sins against you are no big deal, you puny, infinitesimal mortal. Th- sins against you don't matter. That's what doesn't matter. Sins against God matter. Your sins against God matter. Sins against me As a selfish, weak, ridiculous person, sins against me are no big deal. Those don't matter. But my sins against God, the fact that I would dare offend God who created the universe, who is the eternal being in the universe, who created everything and created me, the fact that I would dare offend him with my own sin, that is a big deal. That's a huge deal. And I better know it. I better realize it. And I better repent of it. But why do people want to believe this? Because like I said, this is a common... Obviously, it's a common... uh, heresy and in fact look it's rare that a church will come out and say it as i said so uh in such a literal way uh, just just put it out there and advertise it but there are a lot of people that say it in different ways and then even those of us who know better and who would never say such a thing we still find ourselves in our lives operating this way don't we i know i do in my weaker moments so many of my own sins i don't I try not to reflect on, I try not to think about, and I, and, I, and I guess I just sort of, in the back of my mind, I say, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's only when I really stop to reflect on it or pray about it that I feel this intense shame, this intense unspeakable shame and pain for, for the sins that I've committed. But so often I can fall into this trap of thinking, well, it's no big deal. And it's obvious why, people want to feel this way because it's much more comfortable and it's a very painful thing to confront our sins. And it can be really easy. You know, when you say, well, sins, no big deal. My sins, no big deal. It can be really easy to fool yourself and maybe even fool other people into thinking that you're kind of, um, blithe dismissal of your own sin is really you having faith in christ's mercy you know that's that's really what it is you're so confident in christ's mercy that that uh that you're not worried about your sin and so really the level of comfort you have in your own sin is is a virtue because it shows that you believe that christ is merciful but the problem is that in order for us to feel the healing power of god's mercy which is infinite and is offered to all of us, we have to repent of our sins. Um, His mercy is offered to us, but again, we can reject it. We can reject his mercy. We can say, I won't repent. And if we don't repent, then our relationship with Christ suffers. That tree begins to rot. But repenting, you know, to repent means to confront and to deal with the ugliness, um, the horror of our own sin. And it's a very painful thing. That's why, you know, I, I think one of the mysteries of our faith, or one of the things that people, I think, really wonder about, and uh, particularly people who aren't Christians, this is one of the objections that, that I hear quite a bit about this whole idea of Christian forgiveness and, and mercy and God's mercy. And people say, well, supposedly, right? We're, we're supposed to believe that that anyone could be in heaven. Anyone could go to heaven, because God is merciful, and uh, if anyone asks for forgiveness, they'll be given it. That's what we're supposed to believe. So the objection goes: Adolf Hitler. We're supposed to believe that Adolf Hitler, who killed 11 million people and was one of the great villains of uh, of uh, in human history, we're supposed to believe that he could be in heaven, potentially, if he if he repented of his sins. How does that work? You can commit all all these awful sins your entire life and just at the last moment say you're sorry. You can go to heaven. How does that work? Well, I I think I know how it works. I think I know the, the answer to that question. Now, in Hitler's case, yes, we 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 are we are supposed to believe that anyone can go to heaven. Anyone can be forgiven because anyone can can repent. And if you repent, then then you'll be forgiven. Um. But in Hitler's case, he killed himself. So, and, and, and that act alone is, a, is a sinful. And so, it's, it's hard to believe that. I don't know how he could have repented. Although, you know, maybe if he shot himself in the head and there were moments uh, in between when he shot himself and when he finally died, in those moments, he could have repented and, and, and been forgiven. Theoretically, it's possible. I don't know. But it's not so easy. So, here's the thing it's, it's, not, just, it's not so easy as to just say, I'm sorry. Because you have to actually be sorry. You have you can't just say it. You have to actually repent from the bottom of your soul. Repent. And when you actually repent for your sin, the the pain is enormous, even for small sins. But let's take someone like Hitler, for instance. Just take the worst example possible. If he were to actually repent, the pain that he would have to endure. Uh, that would be required for him to actually confront the hideousness of that sin. If that were to actually theoretically happen, the pain would be like something you cannot, it would be, it would be the pain of hell magnified a billion times is what you would have to feel deep in your soul. If you committed sins like that and actually came to repent for them, actually came to confront them. Christ suffered for our sins on the cross. So we know how painful sin is because he felt it, he carried it. But we, we have to suffer too for our sins. That doesn't mean we all go to hell just because we sinned. But it does mean, you know, to actually repent for your sins means suffering. You suffer for this. Sin. That, that's what it means to repent. And if you don't know that, if, you're, if, you're, if, you, if you listen to this and you say, well, not necessarily. You can repent of a sin and not suffer for it and feel no suffering. Well, then I would say that I don't think you've ever actually repented for a sin in your life. I don't think you've ever repented for any sin if you have never suffered. If you have never felt suffering with that repentance, then I don't think the repentance is real. Because, it, because if it's real repentance, then you would see, you, you, you would come to understand and see the beauty and, of God and you would see the ugliness and selfishness and, 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 and horror of your own sin and that guilt and that shame and that it, just, it would cause great suffering. Doesn't mean you have to dwell in it. Doesn't mean you have to live in it. But it would—that's what it would require. That's what repenting is. And when they're small sins, then the suffering may be minor. But when they're great sins, the suffering is great. And so that's—that's—that's that's, that's the answer. Now, I think um, it also becomes harder, more difficult to repent of our sins. The deeper we go into them, you know, the deeper we plunge into our own sins And the more sins we commit and as we sort of build upon those sins uh, We we become clouded Our souls and our minds become clouded and it becomes If not impossible very very difficult to actually confront them And, and and if we cannot confront them and see them for what they are Then we cannot repent and if we don't repent then we can't be saved so that's why it's not so easy for someone, for a serial killer or a, a Hitler or someone like that, a genocidal dictator. Yeah, we're, we're to believe that as long as they're on this earth, they can be saved, every single one of them, every single one, doesn't matter who it is, every single one. But the deeper they've plunged into that sin, the more difficult it's going to be. And at a certain point, it nears impossibility without something miraculous happening. And you can never rule out the miraculous. But with but in, in lieu of that... Um, it can become near impossible the longer you go without repenting and the deeper and deeper you go into your sin. And that's why I go back to uh, The Great Divorce. And I, I would I recommend really just shutting this podcast off and just go read that book. Just read the book. Um, really, there's no reason to listen to, to or read anything that I say or write when you could just read uh, C.S. Lewis. But in that, in that book, um, it starts with these souls that are kind of in this um, – in-between state. You know, they've, they've died, but they're almost, I guess, in this sort of purgatory-like state. And they're the, the way that it's described is they're kind of waiting for a bus uh, to come and to take them to, to heaven. But there are people who get so lost, um, who, who become so comfortable and so lost and deluded in this sort of hazy, in-between state that they kind of wander further and further and further away from the bus stop further and further and further and further away. And they can always turn and come back. They always can, but they keep wandering further and further away. And it talks about how, you know, some of the great uh, villains throughout history are billions and have have at this point wandered billions and billions and billions of miles away from the bus stop to the point where, and they've just descended into total madness where it's basically hopeless. Now they'll never turn back. They're too far away and they're too crazy. They've, 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 They've walled themselves in to their sin too much. And I think that's kind of how it is. And so maybe in the book, um, the bus stop is really earth. You know, that's kind of what we're doing. And, and, and we're supposed to wait there for God to come and get us. But so many, but in our sin, we kind of wander away from the bus stop. And uh, the further and further we go, the more likely it is that the bus will arrive and we'll be all the way out there and we won't catch it. And then we're in trouble because there ain't going to be another bus coming after that one so repenting is the process of looking around and seeing how lost you are and how far you've wandered and uh, going back is not as simple as just snapping your fingers or saying the magic word it is a scary disorienting painful process and it's something we have to undergo and 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 be willing to um, undergo if we want to be saved but i think all of that adds up to yeah Sin, it's a pretty big deal. A pretty big deal. All right. That's going to do it for me. I'll talk to you guys next week. Our crew Chase Salus. Godspeed, everybody.